Well, good day to you. It's Joel with the King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison, and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past, and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey everyone, welcome back to this last episode in this series on real people overcoming real problems. This episode meant so much to me. It was so important for me to include this in this series because I have so many clients, I have so many friends, I know so many people who are dealing with really painful divorces, whether it's the aftermath of a painful divorce, the decision to get a divorce. This is a really hard topic. And I just love the way today's guest engages this topic with nuance. She doesn't blame anybody. There are elements of her story. You can tell she works very hard to only speak about it from her own perspective. And I really respect her for that. This is a hard topic to talk about. And I really appreciate just the sensitivity and nuance that came out through this conversation. So before we get there, I want to let you know that next week, I'm going to start another round of psychology buzzwords. You guys loved these psychology buzzwords, and several of these buzzwords came out in these last few guest interviews. So I want to hear from you. Are there any words or phrases or topics from these guest interviews, the prior series, or just from the world around you that you want me to take a deeper dive into? And there are two ways you can let me know. First, you can go to this episode's page on my website. It's drallisoncook.com backslash podcast, or go to this podcast post on my Instagram page at Dr. Allison Cook and leave a comment there with topics you'd like me to do an episode on in this upcoming series. I'll also be running a poll in my stories, so check my stories on Instagram for that. I'd love to hear from you what phrases, what terms, what topics from psychology you want me to address always from a faith-based perspective. Okay, and with that, let's get into today's episode, Overcoming the Pain of Divorce. I was talking with Erin, who has become a friend of mine, and she mentioned something about having gone through a divorce, and I immediately bounced. And I was like, Erin, <laughs> is this something you talk about? She said, yes, because of the very reasons you're saying. And so she agreed to come on today, and I'm so grateful to have her. Erin is a social entrepreneur, a creative. She's the founder of a lifestyle clothing brand called So Worth Loving, a company that has sold to all 50 states, 35 countries, and continues to garner a growing presence. She is an author, a podcast host. She has a book called So Worth Loving that looks amazing. And she's the co-host of a podcast called God Hears Her. I will link to all of that 
in the show notes. I have just come to have so much respect for Erin, and I can't wait to learn more about your story today, Erin. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Dr. Allison, thank you so much for having me. This topic uh, is near to my heart, and so it's an honor. It's an honor to speak to this space. Well, I appreciate your willingness to share this, you know, I'm certain we'll discover as a painful aspect of your story. I always like to start by looking back, by kind of setting the scene, as they say, of what your young woman self was like, maybe late teens, Mm. early 20s. How did she see herself and what was she hoping for out of love and relationships? Oh, it's such a good question. (laughs) Oh, so many things. So I am one of three girls and I grew up in the South, but both of my parents are from the North. So Ohio and Indiana, and they manufactured furniture. So I grew up in a very entrepreneurial household, but it was like not your typical little girl upbringing in the South. I mean, we had Great Danes and macaws and my dad would buy like cars and resell them and then we're manufacturing furniture. There was just a lot of movement in my childhood. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was in my teens, I had just this like sky's the limit, starry-eyed perspective of life because my upbringing was full of so much color. There's just a lot going on. So during that time, I mean my dad was he's so loving. My dad has always been so loving to me. And I just you know, I learned, you know, and we can unpack this later, but I learned, I just, I trusted him mm. so much because he loved me so much mm. that I, I didn't realize that men needed to earn my trust because mm. I gave it and experienced it so effortlessly with my dad. So, I mean, I, I mean, I met my former husband when I was 17. Wow. And so I was met him at 17. Didn't really, I mean, I was just, again, like guys, the limit is starry eyed about, didn't really know about my career, where I wanted to go, but I was optimistic that I'd yeah. get there because I watched my parents work hard and get there. And so my idea of love, I guess to answer your question, it was just, I gave it freely because it was given to me freely by my dad. And he really shaped that for me. You know, I want to pause there for a second because you're saying something really interesting. We talk a lot about childhood traumas, childhood wounds, those father wounds, mother wounds that can impact our later relationship. But you're highlighting a whole nother aspect of where you can grow up. And and actually, it's a little bit similar to my story where my dad was super safe, super loving, Mm -hmm. but there's almost a naivete about men, right? There's almost a naivete about, oh, you just take for granted that mm-hmm. men are going to be for you. Men are going to support you. Is that, is that, am I hearing you right? Yes, that's yeah. exactly and it was what real. I felt. It was real yes. with your dad and that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But then there's sort of this lack of a healthy guard or a healthy, like I need to be really careful who I trust yes. almost as a result of having been so, so well loved. It's very true. I mean, and it's interesting because I did have a relative growing up that was a female that was very unloving and very uh, unkind and mm-hmm. hurtful and mm-hmm. borderline abusive. And so mm-hmm. that love, I actually worked really hard for mm-hmm. while I never had to work hard for my dad's love. So I learned to trust men easily, but I learned that I'm not valued or that I have to perform for love still. 
So it was like my wound was from a female figure in my life yeah, and not a male figure in my life. Gosh, there's so much there to tease out, but it makes sense. So on mm-hmm. one hand, you experience the safety parts of you just sort of trusted. But then on mm-hmm. the other hand, you also picked up a message that I have to work to earn yes. love. Okay, so this yeah. is sort of the the stage that we're setting. Going in, you meet this guy at 17. You've already told me, so I, I hope it's okay that I say you're an Enneagram yeah. 7. Yeah, Is that, is that right? Yes. So I'm hearing that in your story, right? This sort of <laughs> optimism, excitement, enthusiasm. Life is good. Life is full. You meet this guy at 17. And what mm-hmm. happens? Yeah, so we dated for four and a half years. And then we get engaged. And I'm engaged at just, just 21. Okay. And I didn't really know what it was that I wanted to do for a living. I, you know, I graduated from an all girls school. So I'm, I meet my former husband in very unconventional ways at a clothing store. And, and we, I mean, I just, you know, if I'm honest, there were so many sweet parts to our story. Mm. And I think that it's hard to Especially when you're in, when you go through a divorce, like what I've learned from observing other people's stories is that, you know, you want to make everything bad for, to mm-hmm. help yourself feel better. But we had so many sweet parts to our story because we both were learning at such a young age how to love each other, how mm-hmm. to figure out what our careers were. Yeah. I mean, we were at those defining moments of our life that we were navigating together and separate, but together. And yeah when we get married at 21, you know, we just didn't have a good toolbox and we did all the, you know, Christian, right. I do in quotes, right things to do, (laughs) you know, you save yourself for marriage. You do premarital counseling. Uh, We did like a big intensive thing for like six weeks. And, Mm. you know, we do all the right things. He's from a Christian household. I'm from a Christian household. It's like all of this stuff. I want to pause there for a second because I think this is really important for people to hear all the right things. You keep doing it in quotes and it's right, right? You dated four and a half years. It's not even like you rushed in. You Mm -hmm. went to premarital counseling, both from Christian households, right? And and we see this, you know, there's there's no template. I think what happens is sometimes people want a guarantee that it won't happen to me. Mm-hmm. And so we look to these, if I do these things this way, this won't happen. And and here yeah. you are going, I, I really, we loved each other. There were some sweet things. We did a lot to set ourselves mm-hmm. up for success. And obviously this didn't, you know, it didn't work out. So yeah. I just appreciate that. I appreciate that, that pausing on that part mm-hmm. of your story. So you're in, you, you, you do get married at 21. You're young. What happens? So it's interesting because Fast forward, we get married, start to see some misalignment or some like struggle with connection. And we both feel that way. And, Mm. you know, that's what you always hear, right? It's like, oh, there wasn't a connection or, oh, but there was actually something so much deeper that really was going on. And it was while we had been together for four and a half years, the understanding of what emotional intimacy is with God Mm. and then with each other was not practiced. And we were really not skilled in that at all. And so, you know, we get married, we're married for about five, about five years in, um, we never had like the first year was rough. Uh, we mm-hmm. never experienced any of that, mm-hmm. but number five was, and that's mm-hmm. when we started doing marriage intensives. So we started going on marriage intensives and it was, we weren't, it was like, you know, I say this, he hears something else. 
-hmm. says this, I hear something else that starts to pile on. But -hmm. I will say that there were instances when we were dating that I ignored, Mm -hmm. instances that were red flags that had a deeper issue that maybe I was struggling with and Mm -hmm. he was struggling with. Because you'll hear me talk about our divorce. He had a lot of stuff that he had to work through and is working through and and that he brought in that I didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And there was stuff that I brought in that I didn't know about. And we just kept not talking about it and hiding it. In hindsight, can you can you tell me a little bit more? What were some yeah. of those? I understand hindsight's twenty twenty, but as you look back, even to when you were dating, what was happening inside of you mm-hmm. that, in hindsight, you realize, oh, I, I didn't know to pay attention to that. What what was that? Can you give me an example? Yeah, I mean, I was very forgiving when I would find out something that was uh, not honoring to our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I kept saying it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I kept normalizing unhealthy behavior. And I kept trusting that things would change and they wouldn't. And I entered into this denial Mm -hmm. space. So that would look like specifically like, well, one, I would definitely find all of my affirmation and affection from him. Instead of believing that I was worthy of love, I pursued him to tell me that. And based off his actions, that determined on if I was. Mm-hmm. And if I had a good day or a bad day and vice versa, he did that to me. I mean, he would seek me to find out if he was worthy of love or affection and attention. And if I didn't, he would go elsewhere and find mm-hmm. it in other ways. And that's ultimately what we did. And it just translated different. You know, it could be porn. It could be infidelity. It could be people pleasing. It could be addictions to other things, whether it's technology or addiction to attention or mm-hmm. uh And we went in such separate ways over time. And Mm -hmm. it was, we were making intentional choices, but we didn't know that we were, but we were. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you weren't getting the validation that you, quote unquote, needed, felt like you needed from him, what would you do? So was there a part of you that was like, well, I'll just go get it somewhere else. What was that like for you? Yeah, no, I, I did that. So I threw myself more into work and I was like very career oriented and wanted to be the best boss and wanted to be the best CEO. I wanted to just grow our business and our business is very community driven. So I wanted Mm -hmm. to show up in people's lives and, and serve them. And Mm -hmm. in some ways it was selfless in some ways it was very selfish. And it was really hard after all of coming from that to differentiate what was selfless and what was selfish Mm -hmm. because my motive was escaping to work. But ultimately, along that journey of feeding that attention and the affection, I had an emotional affair. And Mm -hmm. I I can openly talk about that because I think that's just what happens Mm -hmm. when you don't address the things that are trickling in Mm -hmm. at an early state. Mm -hmm. They manifest over time. And in his journey and his story, it manifested very big and, and things that just everything imploded towards mm-hmm. the end. And we can get into that later. But yeah, no, I definitely threw it into work. And from work, I had an emotional affair within work. Getting high quality food and household essentials delivered right to my doorstep, whether it's my favorite Dave's Killer Bread, incredible wine or seventh generation cleaning supplies has been a game changer for me. I love that Thrive Market only allows trusted top quality ingredients while restricting thousands of harmful ingredients like artificial flavors, high fructose corn syrup and more. 
And with just a few clicks, I can filter out ingredients that I don't want, like gluten or high sugar content, making it so easy to find the items I need for my family. Best of all, when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash you for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash you. thrivemarket.com slash you. A recent survey found that 7 in 10 parents get an average of just three hours of sleep a night in their baby's first year. Moms, you deserve to have quality sleep. And I know one thing that will help. It's Cozy Earth. You can discover the secret to better sleep with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products. And here's an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for our listeners. Use code BESTOFYOU for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Cozy Earth bedding products are crafted with temperature-regulating technology that adapts to your body's needs through all phases of motherhood. And they use only the very best fabrics, materials, and weaves, offering superior softness that invites you to sink into a world of comfort. The best part is Cozy Earth stands by the quality and longevity of their products. Enjoy a 100-night sleep trial and a 10-year warranty on all purchases. They're built to last through the hardest days and the longest nights. Treat yourself to ultimate comfort with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code BESTOFYOU for an exclusive 35% off. The luxury she deserves. Cozy Earth. I appreciate your honesty, Erin, and I just really commend you because that's so real. And especially when we're young. I mean, now it's it's hard enough, but I think in marriage that we can fool ourselves a little bit and like you're saying, it's subtle. It's and, and there can be little parts of us. It's not even all of us that's like, I'm not getting what I need. I'll go get what I need. And there's mm-hmm. a little bit of resentment that might just be a sliver that creeps in that we kind of keep below our conscious awareness. You know, yeah. I, I'm speaking for myself, you know, and if I don't go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I have to address mm-hmm. that in the context of my relationship while it's small because if I keep it below, and I see it all the yeah. time, it's like these t- a million tiny little sort of steps away from the real problem. Make the problem yeah. bigger. Yeah, that's exactly it. could be it. a tiny thing. It could be like, man, he mm-hmm. didn't notice me last night. He didn't give me that validation I needed. I'm going to go get it elsewhere. And it's yeah. tiny, but then a ton of those little steps over time create a larger divide. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that you see that in social media, you know, it's like, oh, I'll go find it on social media and it can yep. be so innocent, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I'll just post this photo and mm-hmm. it's inspiring and encouraging. And it's not, subtle. and I think that's what we, yeah, it's subtle. We don't realize that the pursuit of wanting affection and attention, mm-hmm. it doesn't always look like seductive no. and sexy and out there and all these things. I'm going like, to go get some could, man to pay attention to me. Right. It's rarely that overt. It's right. much exactly. more insidious. It's, yeah. It's true. And yeah. I, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for that awareness that I've had to journey through because mm-hmm. I can now call it out in myself mm-hmm. and I have compassion for a woman that I can see is doing it without yep. them realizing they're doing it. Yes, And I think, and again, it's so subtle. Mine was so subtle. And a lot of people were shocked and blindsided as I was, because Mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't even 
that was, those were not my intentions. It wasn't mm-hmm. this, again, this lustful, sexy, rawr, I'm going to go out there. It was just of like course. little slow drip, little slow drip. It's exactly right. We have the the first book that I wrote is this parts model where we it talks about and my listeners are most of them are familiar with it. This idea that we're we're complex and we mm-hmm. have these different parts of us and parts of us, these kind of can sneak in below our conscious awareness. And it's mm. and a lot of times they're coming from pain. There's pain, unaddressed pain. I'm hurting, especially when we're young. We don't know. And and there's a yeah. part of us that's in pain. And and that part of us is wired and designed to find comfort, to find in the best way we know how at yeah. the time to find care. And, and that's where we get, you know, the more we're aware, it's hard yeah. enough, you know, to, to become aware and go, oh, man, I'm feeling lonely in my marriage. I'm feeling unseen. What do I do with that? How do I talk about that with my partner, let alone maybe even with a friend? That's even hard enough to talk about with a friend, let alone to face it in ourselves. It's scary. Yeah. So instead, we tend to kind of just hide from it, hope Mm -hmm. it'll go away. You know, and it's not like you were overtly like, I'm feeling lonely. I'm going to go (laughs) blank. You know, it's all this jumble of mm-hmm. emotion, all this jumble of confusion, fear, pain, and we survive. We do what yeah. we need to do to survive. That's right. And that's, and it, you know, I was surrounded by just sound wisdom too. And mm. I think that's where some of the confusion was for me, even in my own choices. Cause I'm like, my gosh, I had business mentors and I was in a really beautiful community. How did I get to this point? Mm-hmm. You know, and and and, mm-hmm. and there's there are things that I can look back on and and see like there was a lot of secrecy I didn't know was happening within our mm-hmm. marriage. And mm-hmm. the reason I wasn't getting some of what are healthy needs I think that you can have in a marriage, I wasn't receiving that because it was being put elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. my own stuff still I own was part of someone's own stuff. Of course. They weren't owning. And it was just, I have so much compassion for addiction and infidelity Mm -hmm. and the abuse that people are on either side of, because what you said, it comes from pain Mm -hmm. and it comes from not wanting to be seen or known Mm -hmm. and recognizing that they truly are loved Mm -hmm. and worthy of love. Mm -hmm. And that's the root. And that's where my I did not believe I was worthy Mm. of someone's Uh. love. And it came from that relationship when I was younger and then manifested over time in a a many moments loveless marriage. So how would you have known, you know, with that wound that you carried into marriage to say, man, I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling unseen by you. What's up? How would you Mm -hmm. have known and had the courage to do that if you, you know, you didn't know deep inside that you were worth that. And so tell me a little mm. bit about what happened. It sounds like it came to a head and some more information came out that maybe helped you understand why you were feeling so unloved and so yeah. lonely. I definitely gained more closure once I became aware of my emotional affair. And I say aware because I think sometimes depending on the severity of it, because I've seen severe emotional affairs mm-hmm. where you're like, whoa, how do you not know? You know, like those, <laughs> uh, that's really that crossing boundaries. And for me, I had boundaries and yet mm-hmm. it, there was this affection that was developing in me because I so badly wanted to be mm-hmm. that it seems mm-hmm. like it was a safe place. 
there was no, um, and I say this because for anybody that's listening, they may think that an emotional affair is something that's like, you're, you know, you're doing some crazy things through text messaging or something. And that doesn't, that's not the case. Like it can be that this person just feels, I feel actually just safer to be around and I want to be with them at work. In proper settings. Yeah. That's right. It's not like you're sneaking away for coffee necessarily. It might just be that, yeah, you have, you love seeing them in the hallway. Yeah. Exactly. We have those boundaries. We don't, we don't meet without more than one person present. I mean, we had those types of things. All the right things. I did a quote on that. All (laughs) the right things. And that's why you're like, why am I blindsided by all these right things I'm doing? Um, And so I say that to say, like, once I confessed it and brought it to light, I was still Mm. so confused. And even, uh, you know, it affects your identity and how you see yourself and how someone sees you. And, you know, I explain it feels like a riptide. It feels like you're being mm. pulled somewhere, but you don't, you keep trying to swim as you're not getting to where you're going and you're mm. confused on where you're swimming in those moments where you bring up that type of stuff. And we sought uh, intensive therapy for about six months. So you and went went to your husband and told him? I did. Yes. I went to him uh, mm. probably day two of my awareness. I went to him and confessed it and I told him mm. and I was met with his own grief and his own maybe denial that he was processing and going through. And, you know, our our fights got pretty bad. And Mm -hmm. they, as they should, because there was so much under the surface that wasn't addressed. So what I'm sensing from what you're saying is there was stuff he wasn't bringing to the table. That's right. That's right. At that point. That's painful. And, you know, I think in marriage and in relationships, and serious relationships, we can say to ourselves, it's just a season, but a season can turn into a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And we had been saying it's just a season because mm-hmm. we are both entrepreneurs. And so we're both pursuing our own endeavors. And a lot of things were growing, you know, away from each other, not mm-hmm. together. And mm-hmm. I kept saying, it's just a season. It's just a season. Once this happens, then he'll love me. Or once this happens, then we'll connect. Mm. Or once this happens, you know, then we, and it's again, that performance mentality that I had just been striving and performing to to receive from him Mm -hmm. and receive from anybody, honestly, like whether Mm -hmm. it's, I want to be the best boss, right? And I want Mm -hmm. all my employees to like me. And I hated firing my first employee Mm -hmm. and, you know, just all that I wanted to be, ultimately, I just, wanted to be loved and seen. And I was pursuing everybody else outside of it. But during the intensive therapy that we went through, then that's when I learned there had been things that had been going on in the marriage for a very long time Mm. that were things that he was very scared to share and hid since he was very young. Mm. And that gave me as much as it was hurtful to receive, Mm -hmm. it gave me so much closure and understanding that is why things have been happening. Mm -hmm. Certain circumstances were taking place in our marriage that I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Now I'll say, I'm able to look at it with compassion now, but I've been on the the journey of healing. I know then I didn't handle it well. I mean, I was angry. Mm -hmm. I was vengeful. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to claim, you know, in quotes, my power back. I, Mm -hmm. I responded with not compassion in any form Mm -hmm. because I was so on this pursuit to be loved by him that Mm -hmm. I felt betrayed by him Mm -hmm. that I couldn't handle his own stuff 
because I wasn't handling my own stuff ultimately. Well, and also, though, Erin, you were being hard <laughs> on yourself and feeling shame about your own pursuit of affection elsewhere when all and then all of a sudden the veil is lifted and you're like, oh, there's a good yeah. reason I wasn't feeling loved, yeah. connected to this whole other thing. I've been living with someone and only knowing you know, this much of them. And that's really painful. And of course, you're going to replay the tape and go, well, no wonder. And again, you're doing a really good job of threading the needle. These things are so nuanced, right? You know, you're trying so hard not to put all the blame on him. You're trying to own your part. And also, (laughs) right, it's it's messy. You know, yeah. it's nuance. Yes, of course. Do you want to make sure you're, you know, do we want to make sure we're always going, what's my part in this? Of right. course, and, you know, <laughs> <Let's do that. laughs> and also, especially in these relationships, there's usually a reason. And again, it doesn't take us. We still have our, you know, what we do when we're trying to survive is our responsibility. But there's also like it's survival mode for a reason because yeah. we've been and- hurt. And fight, flight, or freeze. Yes. I mean, goodness. It's real. It's real. I just, I flew. (laughs) I froze. I fought a little, and then I flew. That's exactly. And you're right. You want to own your part Mm -hmm. at the same time. The journey has been for me. I want to own my part. I want to extend compassion and forgiveness. But I also want to not own his part. Amen. Because I can't. That's right. And it's not my responsibility to. And I owned it for years that I didn't even know I was owning it. (sighs) And I think that's what came. That was freeing and gave me so much closure. And I am owning something. Yes. And naming naming his part. It's not only that you're not going to own it anymore. You're going to name it. That's his. Oh, that hat. That is not mine. Yeah. Good for you. (laughs) So if I'm hearing you correctly through that intensive therapy, You keep using the word closure. It sounds like you actually, instead of the therapy bringing you together, the therapy gave you what you needed to realize, oh, this relationship is broken. Is that, and is broken the right word? I don't know that you would use that word. Yes. I I remember actually the day that I, and we had done like one-on-one, like or intensive therapy together as a couple Mm -hmm. for a while, for six months. And then we did a three-day emotional focus therapy. Mm-hmm. We did that for, yeah, it was like three a three-day. And there was just more things that I was recognizing. Mm-hmm. But when I say that there were more things I was recognizing, it wasn't because he was sharing. It was actually mm-hmm. that because he wasn't sharing. So everything that we were doing was not still revealing. It was just compiling more on top of my responsibility in this relationship. And so then, you know, months later, my breaking point. Remember the day was my breaking point where it was like, I can't do your work. Like I am doing my work. I have a lot of shame in it. I recognize that, but I cannot do your work too. Mm. And you need to go off and do your work and contact me when you do. And it was tough love and it was hard. And some people would handle it differently than I did, but that was where I was at. I was at my breaking point. And when I did that, I felt this level of relief where I finally spoke for myself Mm -hmm. and felt confident in it. And at the same time, recognized that there's so much damage that I actually don't think that this is reconcilable. Mm -hmm. I think I can reconcile that this is not reconcilable, but I don't believe that this relationship is. 
So, wow, this is so powerful. I love that moment. But what I'm hearing you again, and I, I think this is important for listeners to understand, especially in the process of therapy, right? Again, you're with a therapist, that he still wasn't owning it. You were starting to see stuff, mm-hmm. but the finger was still pointed at you to be the one and something inside of you finally was like, I'm done. Now, I'm yeah. curious if, and I don't necessarily want you to talk specifically about the therapist, but did you find that the process of therapy supported you? And the reason I ask is oftentimes people can go to a therapist and if one person isn't owning their responsibility, it won't work. Right. And therapists, if a therapist doesn't understand those dynamics, they can try to create a negotiation where two people haven't each gotten to the root. You can only negotiate a healing way forward when both people are taking full responsibility for their own side of the street. Yeah. Right? right. And if a therapist doesn't realize that, it can actually get kind of wonky. So I'm curious, did you feel supported in that or were you kind of Mm. on your own? I felt very on my own. Really? I felt that my, you know, my moral failure, my mishap, my choice in our relationship was the focus. And it was, uh, it was more reason for him to hide and he didn't feel safe to share still. And so all of the therapy that we spent was on my choices. I am so sorry. I just want to pause. I hear that so often Mm -hmm. and it's really, really harmful. And I'm really sorry, right, that you you were the scapegoat in a way. Mm -hmm. I was. Well, And I remember when we went to one more therapy, when some things came up that after I had that breaking point, Mm -hmm. I think we may have gone like maybe one or two more times. And I just remember hearing the therapist, instead of sitting with me in the pain of my awareness that I had been overcompensating and owning Mm -hmm. uh, his part for Mm -hmm. so many, for about 12 years, Mm -hmm. instead of being met with empathy towards how much that had to have felt lonely, there was so much compassion towards the reason he's been hiding in it was in his childhood. I just remember thinking, oh, that's so hurtful. Like, I just remember thinking like this therapist who had been sitting with that never dug deep. And then it was all focused on my, you know, my failure, my mishap, my my own immoral choices. And when he brings his delight, there's so much compassion. Mm-hmm. And there's, and it was just, it was a moment that I was just like, what? I just wish somebody would mm. see the pain. Instead, mm. I was still expected to carry mm. mine and his. Mm. That is just heartbreaking. And I hear it over and over. Tell me what the loneliness was like. Tell me what mm. your pain was like. And again, This is what's so tricky about marriage is both people come in with wounds, with pain. Nobody's trying to take that away from him, but both people have to be fully aware. You keep using that word aware. I knew my own. I was aware, but we needed to figure out how my pain and what I had done came together with his pain and his blind spots <laughs> and what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of if I could just have done it better, you know, he wouldn't have had to had this extra yes. layer of hurt. Well, no, no, no. That's, right. That's not the way it works. Oh, and I, I will be honest. I mean, that is, that is, I had heard that many times throughout us trying to mend and seek healing and help was that 
if I was more meek and mild, if I was more a godly woman would do these things. I had all these things spoken over me. Well, you know, if she wouldn't be working so much, then he wouldn't be pursuing X, Y, and Z. There, there were so many statements during that. And you know, it, it's so fragile. And I don't think people, like you can't take back words. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I love words so much mm-hmm. uh, because I think they have so much power. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was met with a lot of words that had so much power mm. that I allowed to control me after the divorce. And a lot of the words were lies. They were lies about who I was, what people think I am, um, mm. what the version of a godly woman in someone's eyes thinks is, well, I'm not that. So I must be this. Mm. Just all of these different words were spoken that I carried after. How did you begin to heal afterward? Oh, I didn't. <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> so just to kind of fill in the blanks, it sounds like you finally hit a breaking point where like, I'm no longer willing to carry more than what is mine to carry, which meant the marriage was essentially over. My guess is, tell me if this is accurate. Were you blamed for that then? Were you blamed for walking away? Yes. By both your husband and Everybody. the broader <laughs> faith community. Everybody. You left. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when I when I pursued the divorce, I was met with a lot of people's judgment and opinions of what they thought I should have done differently. Mm-hmm. And it was very lonely. I mean, I lost mm-hmm. a lot of my community. I also mm-hmm. pushed away a lot of my community because I would hear, I would hear gossip and then I would mm-hmm. shut people off. You know, I'm like, I, mm-hmm. they're not my friends. I am a wing eight. So I know eight. <laughs> we, I mean, we are, <laughs> loyalty is really important to us. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I did it to a, a whole other level that I don't believe is a healthy level, but I definitely was met with a lot of criticism and people believed that it could have worked and that Mm -hmm. I was calling it quits too soon. And the reason they felt that was because they hadn't seen the internal struggle inside a household. They saw an external of what they wanted Mm -hmm. and they saw what made them feel good. But I quickly became the friend that you don't hang out with because if you do, you'll also want a divorce. And it was... There was a lot of that that was projected on me during that time. So that was one of the reasons, you know, why my, I lost a lot of my community. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the pain on the pain, you know, compounded trauma, right? There's already the trauma. I'm going to call it trauma yeah. of what you went through, the pain, then the trauma of being scapegoated. And then already it's so painful to lose a marriage, but then to be blamed and to lose your community on yeah. top of that is just, and I, unfortunately, I know that so many who are listening know exactly what you're talking about, mm-hmm. know exactly what you're talking about, unfortunately. So I think that it sounds like that wing eight also kind of saved you because it was like, I got to, I got to mm-hmm. save myself here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the healing process. You said initially you didn't. What, <laughs> what do you mean by that? Oh, I pursued the dating world very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pursued other people to tell me again that I was worthy of love. And I mean, I dated many men and I mean, I sound like a, I'm I'm painting myself in such a way, but I did, honestly, I did. Mm -hmm. Like I, any, I dated my former husband when I was 17. So all of a Mm -hmm. sudden I'm getting attention and affection where I can respond freely to, and I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to say, no, I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to, I, I was, I really did not know how to communicate mm-hmm. that 
and mm-hmm. nor did I mm-hmm. really want to. I kind of liked the attention. <laughs> I had just been rejected mm-hmm. for so long mm-hmm. that now somebody that seemed shiny, mm-hmm. I felt like, oh yeah, give me attention. And so mm-hmm. I, I dated, I went into a few relationships and then with the dissolve of those, I remember there was a breakup and I write it in my book. I write about it in my book. It's in the first chapter where it was probably the first serious relationship that I went into. And I was just shocked that when we broke up. And so when he broke up with me, all my baggage from everything came flying forward because I hadn't unpacked it. (laughs) I hadn't unpacked it. And so when when we broke up, I was devastated. And I remember thinking, I don't want to date anyone else. Mm-hmm. I want to date him and I can't. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to date myself and I don't like myself. So that's mm-hmm. why I've been going into all these relationships. And so, you know, two years after the divorce and I find myself here, I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn how to like me. Mm-hmm. I'll learn how to date me, be by myself, cook dinner and enjoy it by myself. Cause for so long I had been, we had been married for nine and a half years mm-hmm. So the bed was cold and I didn't want to sleep in the center. I wanted to sleep on the side. That's my side. And he's, and he's there. Even Mm -hmm. if, even if we went through the divorce, I still wanted a presence of somebody there. And I was just filling the lack of my husband with other men. And I was filling the bed spot with a serious boyfriend. And ultimately none of that was healthy or right for me. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to get comfortable with being by myself and making moral decisions, not because it was the right thing, Mm -hmm. but because it was good for my soul, because it was good for me, because I'm worthy and I'm valuable of healthy love and I'm valuable enough to pursue health and it not be attached to a person and choosing me for the first time and really seeing that choosing me and claiming quote unquote, my power is really just enjoying who I am. <laughs> and, and so I, I went on that journey and I chose not to date for a while for over a year, a uh, year and a half. And I went very extreme. It seems like that's the pattern for me because <laughs> I think that probably we can connect that to childhood wounds or, or childhood joys. I'm not sure, but I, I dyed my hair back to my natural color. I didn't wear makeup. I didn't want, I was like, I just want I didn't paint my nails. I went kind of extreme. I was like, I just want to trust myself that when I decide to take care of myself, it's because I'm taking care of myself Mm. and not because I want affirmation from anybody else. Mm. And so that's kind of the direction that I went in. Um, That's when healing started taking shape. That is so powerful. I love what you said when you said, I, I started doing this, not because it was the quote, right thing again, right? That superficial kind of, let's hit all the marks. I started doing it because of my own soul, because I wanted to start valuing this woman that God had made me to be. Yeah. And that's really what it's about at the core that's just so powerful. And I love the way you externalize, right? There's this, you know, and it's very Enneagram 7. It's like, okay, now I'm going to be single. So now we're going to look, it's going to look this way, but it's real. It had roots all the way down. We're going to, we're going to mm-hmm. show it, you know, we're going to create. It's very creative, <laughs> you know? That's right. And I went, and I went to, I go to a five in health and, and mm-hmm. growth. So I wanted to learn all that. So I, yeah. I actually, I got a trauma therapist and the trauma therapist specialized in, spouses of sexual addiction. And Mm. 
was a specialty trauma therapist. And I was so grateful because I could put terms to things and gain more closure that I didn't realize I also needed and understand even why did I respond the way that I, the, the way that I did to my trauma that was so outside of my moral compass and like just who I am. Like in, when I threw myself into dating and just was kind of like, what? And that's Do you like, mean after the divorce? After yeah. the divorce. Yeah. Yes, yeah. After the divorce, when I did all that, I was like, I need terminology. So I need to mm-hmm. understand why did I do this so I can start forgiving him, mm-hmm. my former husband, mm-hmm. forgiving the guys I dated, you know, because there was that too, but I, mainly my former husband and then forgiving myself yeah. for, for things that I chose that I wasn't forgiving myself for. I love that you did end up with a trauma therapist, right, who understood what we do when we're so hurt, these survival strategies. And, you know, God, I love that you've landed at a place of understanding, you know, God, it's 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 such, again, a nuanced thing to talk about. You know, there is self-forgiveness, but there is also, I was hurt. Both things mm-hmm. can be true. Both oh. things can be true. I was hurt hurting. I was in so much pain. Yes. Are there other strategies maybe I would have preferred to have used, but you were in pain, you know, so both Mm -hmm. things can be true. And I love that you found your way to that nuanced place. I am Mm -hmm. so it's, it's right. I am so worth loving. That's your, that's your thing. I get it. (laughs) Hard earned, hard earned. Yes. Yes. I love that. What you just said, it both can exist. Yeah. Both can exist. What would you say, Erin, to that younger you, maybe that Mm. 17-year-old who maybe saw some signs? How do you go back to her now? Mm. I, well, in therapy, I had to grieve my innocence Mm. that I felt like was taken advantage of. And... I had to grieve the loss of a lot of it with my effortlessly giving trust. I had to grieve all of that. And so I think, you know, I think what I would tell my 17-year-old self again is that God's grace and love for me is not contingent on my performance and my doing. Mm -hmm. I think just letting her sit in that Mm. and, you know, would she be able to understand what grace really means? I actually don't know if she would have because I feel like I was met with so much grace and love when I made many choices that I had carried so much shame with Mm -hmm. that I felt like that was when I first learned grace. But I just would want her to know that she's so worthy of love and to be pursued Mm -hmm. um, by a God that loves her, that no earthly man or Mm -hmm. audience of people can give her and that she's just really talented. And Mm. I would want her to know that, that she's really talented and and the things that the world might try to rob or maybe even contaminate Mm -hmm. to really protect. Mm. Amen. Amen. I love that. I love that because I can hear that's coming from a place deep inside where you know now that is not something you'll give away. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it took mistakes to get there. And it mm-hmm. also took, it took a really good therapist. Because <laughs> like we said before, I had a bad one and 
I was actually scared to go to one again. One of the questions I tend to ask people is when you turned for help, what was it both the good and the bad? And I just want to magnify that again for people. This has come up again and again in these interviews that I've been doing with Real People, Real Problems. Like everything you're saying about learning to protect yourself applies to the experts that you go to, too, whether it's a pastor, a therapist, right? We go in blindly thinking this person is an expert. They're going to help me and they can really cause harm. And it Mm -hmm. grieves me to say that. I mean, it brings tears to my eyes because I love this profession and I am a therapist and we can do harm. And, you know, I think the the good ones know that. The good ones have that humility to Mm -hmm. say, man, I I just don't want to do harm here. But I I am so curious that, yes, you had a very terrible experience where you were blamed and shamed and And then it sounds like you were able to give yourself permission, I would imagine, through a process of learning to trust a good therapist. Was that a process? Yes, it was. It was a process. So when I went into therapy, I was just like, this is not going to work if I'm not honest with my fear of it. Mm -hmm. And if I don't express it to my therapist, we're not going to get anywhere. And I honestly think that that, I take that everywhere. I take that with my relationship with God. If I'm not honest with how I feel and think towards him, mm-hmm. it's not going to go anywhere. I take that in my relationships with my friendships. I want to be honest and loving, but I also want to show my curiosity and my questions and my mm-hmm. fears and I'll bring them out. And a good therapist is humble to receive them and want to mm-hmm. walk you through them and help you process and learn your voice in that journey. And that's what my trauma therapist taught me. That's great. So you tested her a little bit. I missed, I don't know if it was a her, but you tested you tested her a little bit, which is wise. And I really want people yeah. to hear that. I have a whole, I, mm-hmm. I have a book coming out in September and there's a whole section on how to test people. And I felt so guilty. Ooh. A part of me felt so guilty writing that because I'm like, that sounds up, but I'm like, it is those of us who kind of had that naive, that innocence taken away. You actually have to learn. It's a skill we need in this world. And yeah. it includes your therapist. So I love that. You, you tested her. You asked the hard mm-hmm. questions. You weren't going to just sign yourself over to her to be hurt yeah. again. Yeah. What in my trauma, I would give trust easily everywhere. So for me, it was like, oh, this therapist, bless their heart. Like (laughs) they're going to have to, they're going to have to, they got some work cut out for them. But this might, I might be a fun client because of that. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I'm going in with all that I have and they're going to have to earn their way through. And what a safe place. That's so wise. That's a safe place to practice that because you don't, you know, if they can't do it, well, bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I'll wait for the next one. But good for you. And that's how we learn. And I think people need to hear that. We learn. We don't want to become hard. But boy, we right. do want to develop very adept skills, <laughs> yeah. very adept skills to know how to protect ourselves. We want to be in charge of who we let in. We're the gatekeepers of our lives, of our souls, of our hearts. So I love that, Erin. So tell me, what would you say to the women who are listening who have struggled with any of these things, any of these things you've talked about? What would you want them to know? You know, I would I would actually probably task them with something. And that's getting to their journal. I'm a huge journaler. I've journaled since I was 12. I have that journal. So some people don't like to journal. I have so many. And if you don't like to journal... Oh, you should start right now. (laughs) After this podcast episode, grab just your journal, a safe place and write out 
you know, maybe where are some areas that you're recognizing that you are pursuing to give you affection and love and attention. And, and then look at that list with compassion Mm -hmm. and tell yourself that you're worthy of love. And none of these things can give it to you because you are already loved. You're already Mm -hmm. valuable that you don't need to perform or do or be seen Mm -hmm. to be known. I would encourage the woman to be really honest with herself Mm -hmm. on where she's pursuing it. Cause I think we do it more than we realize. And I think that social media makes it very easy for us to get a quick fix of attention Mm -hmm. and love and acceptance and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, this hit of uh, Mm -hmm. endorphins. Yep. So many places our kids can give it to us. We can look to it in an unhealthy ways from family members. We can look to, yeah, there's so many ways. Our to-do list. That's a big one for me. Yeah. And, uh, And so I would encourage a woman listening, make a list of where you feel like you might be doing that. Mm. And then remind yourself that you're worthy of love Mm -hmm. and you, it's okay. If you don't do those things, you're still going to be loved Mm -hmm. and just sit in that. I love that. And sit in the discomfort even, because initially that's like, what? Parts of you are (laughs) like, "Uh uh-uh. You're like, no way. And be honest (laughs) about that too. I love that. I don't believe that. I I rationally might, but. But sitting yeah. with that, because that's where the Holy Spirit, that's where God starts to come in and go, yeah, I get it. I get that you don't get that. That's okay. Yeah. And oddly enough, that's where it starts. That's beautiful. Oh, so that's beautiful. Aaron. tell us a little bit about where people can find you and this book that you wrote that sounds amazing. Where, where can people yeah. find you? Yeah, you can find my book. It's on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. It's so worth loving. And uh, you can find me at soworthloving.com. You can find me on Instagram, on Erin Eddy, E-R-Y-N. You can find me at So Worth Loving. Yeah. And you can hear more, more of me talking with my, my deep, raspy voice over at God Hears Her. <laughs> it's it, my voice. I, I wanted to tell in the beginning. It is on a whole other octave because I've talked a lot this last week. <laughs> you sound great. So it's, uh, someone called me Demi Moore the other day, but you can find me over at God Hears Her, uh, where I'm a co-host to a podcast where we talk about the messiness of life and where God fits in all of that. I love that. I'm going to go check it out and I'll link to all of that in the show notes. And as I ask, as we're closing out here, I ask all my guests, the name of this podcast is The Best of You. What or who is bringing out the best of you right now? Mm. Oh, man. I would say my community. Hmm. I would say we do a lot of fun, like go on the lake and grill out and really take intentional time to spend together. And that's so redemptive right now for me. Because as I Mm -hmm. said in the beginning, I lost my community. Mm -hmm. And when you lose something and then you gain something, you have Mm -hmm. such a deeper appreciation for it that you want to love the heck out of it in a way that you didn't realize that you weren't maybe mm-hmm. or that you or that it wasn't the same type of community that you desire or that you you realize that healthy community this is what it looks like mm-hmm. so you're more appreciative to it so i would say my community and i'm in a beautiful serious relationship with a man that has so much grace and compassion and just always oh, just so much fun. We just have so much fun together and adventure in life. And he's got three daughters that are amazing. Mm-hmm. So they bring out the best of me too. I'm learning this new space of like this mentor yeah. in their life and they're six, 12 and 14. And Great so ages. 
they paint my nails and we have a blast. And so I would say my community and and my boyfriend and three daughters. I love that. That's beautiful. What needs and desires are you working to protect? Mm. Man, you know, you wish you could just arrive to see like living out. I'm so worthy and valuable, but like you Mm -hmm. just don't. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm learning to continue to, especially in this entrepreneurial space, Mm -hmm. I'm in constant check with how much am I giving? Am I giving too much? Mm -hmm. What boundaries do I need to have in place? I mean, I am in a constant battle with that. Yeah. So I I feel like I'm learning to continuing to learn how to vocalize mm-hmm. what my needs are and identify mm-hmm. them and create boundaries mm-hmm. that keep them safe. It's a daily practice. And I think that's the reality. We catch ourselves quicker. We're more able to notice when we're going off course. But it is a, I love what you're saying. It is absolutely a daily practice of staying anchored, checking in with ourselves. I love the journaling that you suggested, checking in with God. I think in my mind, that's what it means when we're supposed to abide in Christ. It's not that we don't do anything, you know, but sit around and, you know, which is kind of what I learned, like abiding in Christ meant just reading your Bible all day and and not (laughs) not taking responsibility for my own life, right? Right, right. I I think it's more what we're talking about, which is abiding in Christ is that it is a daily practice of staying true to ourselves, staying true to the the person he made us to be, honoring our own heart, mind, soul, and body in partnership with God. And we have to constantly come back to that. I I love what you're saying. I think there's wisdom in that. There is, like you said, like it's not spending so much time in the word, a certain amount of time in the day to, to learn that. I know that I am completely off balance and also making choices Mm -hmm. out of like when I talked about my needs, I need to make sure I protect them and I have boundaries and yeah, it's absolutely centering myself and how God sees me honestly, minute by minute, daily, daily conversations, breath prayers. I call them breath prayers. I just breathe breathe in Mm -hmm. a prayer of Lord, just help me with this in little things and big things. And I Mm -hmm. noticed that when I do it in the little things, I mean, he wants those little things from me. He wants mm-hmm. me to pray these little things because they compile to the bigger thing. And we talked about earlier, like it's a slow, there's slow drips mm-hmm. to a big issue. And yep. I see that in the same way in my relationship with the Lord, where it's like, it's a, these slow choices, these small mm-hmm. choices I make with him mm-hmm. that actually build up to this like big relationship with him that keeps me steady and stable mm-hmm. and able to make decisions off mm-hmm. of my needs and my boundaries. So good. I love that. Thank you so much, Erin, for all that you shared today. There's so much Mm. wisdom and goodness and just honesty in Mm. this conversation. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for, I always want to say to people, I'm not grateful for what you went through. That's a bummer. (laughs) You know, it's not, it, it, it stinks. You know, I wish that we didn't have to, but I'm so grateful for what you've set free as a result in yourself and what you're putting forth into the world as a result of your own healing process. So thank you for sharing a little bit of that with us today. Thank you so much for having me. We'll look forward to seeing you next week, right back here on The Best of You. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Best of You. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources and links mentioned in the show. You can find those on my website at drallisoncook.com. That's Allison with one L, cook.com. 
Before you forget, I hope you'll follow the show now so that you don't miss an episode. And I'd love it if you'd go ahead and leave a review. It helps so much to get the word out. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, you honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.